Wednesday morning from 970 WATH. It is six and a half minutes after 10 o'clock. And here in Athens and scenic southeastern Ohio, we've got 46 degrees and cloudy conditions here. So with that, we need a little sunshine. And as you can tell by the sound of this music, some sunshine is headed our way in the voices of one Kim Valentor and one Ruth Duddy as they join us for Make It Happen here on 970 WATH. This morning, they are going to be inviting in their guest, Dr. Joe Gastaldo. He will be joining us to talk about updates on the pandemic and uh, COVID. He is the Ohio Health System Medical Director for Infectious Diseases, all right? So with that, here comes the sunshine, like the old Richie Havens song. Here comes the sun. Well, here they come, <laughs> Kim and Ruth and Dr. Gastaldo. <laughs> yeah, we were wondering how you're going to handle that this morning, Scott. <laughs> oh, I, I can come up with something because I, I think about that too. When you're listening in, they're probably going, "Wonder what he's going to do today." And right. I, and I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, good yeah. morning, ladies. How are you both? And good morning, Dr. Gastaldo, and welcome back to uh, join us here with uh, Make It Happen. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And I, I will have to say, I love the scenery in southeastern Ohio, Athens County, Hocking Hills. When, when I want to get escape for reality and really attending to my resiliency, that's often a place I love to go down and just to hang out with nature. But it really is a beautiful part of our state. Yes, it is. Good choice there, too, I might add, <laughs> if I may. Yeah. A little biased, but, you know, that's what we do here. <laughs> <laughs> right. We agree with you, Dr. Gastaldo. We have uh, a lot of beauty in southeastern Ohio and a lot of beautiful people as well who um, are tuning in this morning to listen to you and to the conversation ahead. Um, so we want to go ahead and get started. Just everybody who's listening this morning knows we did share a few questions, um, a few thoughts about what people are asking around town regarding the pandemic and covid and if you've listened to our program in the past year, you know that Dr. Costado has, this is the third time that he's joined us. So I guess he's becoming the veteran, <laughs> veteran guest here. <laughs> so um, I don't know, Dr. Costado, if you've had a chance to look at those questions, if there was any particular one that stood out that would be a good place. Yeah, I mean, I, I, did, I, I did look at them all. They're great questions, and I can't say I have a preference of one or the other. I would just say, hey, let's let's get us through as many as we can, unless you have one you want to prioritize. But there's a lot of great questions there, and, um, again, I can, I'm can i happy to really engage anybody on any of those questions. Well, I was, I was going to say, Dr. Gustavo, I just um, was on a call this morning with some folks from Ohio University, and they shared an article from Cornell University where they noticed or they are um, measuring some Omicron variant. They're identifying some Omicron variant on campus. And so they've, they've really kicked in some safety measures there, even with just a few days left of the semester. I think that's a, for me, that's a really, okay. I'm curious well, about Omicron. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about Omicron. There's, there's a lot there with Omicron. So let's really reflect on, uh, what's happening in the world and where we are in the United States. So uh, Omicron is a newly identified variant. It was the next letter in the Greek alphabet, and there's going to be more variants. Since Delta, we've had the Mu variant, the Lambda variant. We, we recognize those. We study those. They never really uh, took off or came to fruition. 
But uh, with any type of new variant, there's three questions that we need to get clarity on. Number one, is this variant more transmissible, meaning that is it more contagious? Tentatively, with Omicron, that does appear to be the case. The second thing when it comes to a variant is, does the variant make people sicker? Is there a higher severity of illness? With Omicron, we really don't have strong data on that. Um, all we really know about Omicron are infections really in younger people and people who've been vaccinated and people who have previously had infection. And then finally, when it comes to any variant, and specifically with Omicron, we want to know if there's any weakening of the immunity. And that's immunity from vaccines, immunity from previous infections, and immunity from uh, medications that we use, specifically monoclonal antibodies. So this is what we know about Omicron in that particular regard. The two-dose vaccination series is less protective against infection with Omicron. However, the layer of protection against severe disease looks like it's hanging in there pretty good with Omicron. Um, with Omicron, there's a lot of information coming out in a short period of time. And uh, yesterday, there were two studies that came out, one in Great Britain and one actually done um, in um, Mass General and MIT. And these are both preprint studies. And what the preprint studies show that is when people get a booster dose, that really brings that layer of protection against infection by raising your antibodies. Now, what you uh, mentioned um, with Cornell was due to Cornell University is an area where uh, many, many people are vaccinated, and we had people have post-vaccination infection. I don't like to use the word breakthrough, but post-vaccination infection. So if people get a post-vaccination infection with Omicron and they're home with mild cold or flu symptoms, that's the vaccine working. The point of the vaccines are really to mitigate against severe disease. If somebody is vaccinated, they are less likely to get infection compared to somebody who's not vaccinated. However, the vaccines were never studied or intended to stop all infection. These vaccines were really meant to mitigate or prevent against severe disease. So tentatively, it looks like in the setting of Omicron, um, that may be the case. However, we really don't have a lot of concrete data on that yet with Omicron. Last week on Friday, December the 10th, the CDC released a very detailed report of 43 people who were infected with Omicron from December the 1st through December the 8th. And out of that 43 people, uh, a small percentage of them were above the age of 65. And out of those 43 people, there was only one person who was hospitalized for a short period of time. So really what I want to know with Omicron is people who have infection with Omicron, if they are vaccinated, what I want to know is, are there, is there a higher incidence of severe disease? Are those people dying? Are the people being hospitalized from Omicron? And um, we don't have clear data on that yet, but we really want to have data on that specifically for senior citizens and those most at risk for vaccines don't work as well, like immunocompromised patients and people with specific uh, medical conditions. But um, again, as we see more Omicron in our country, and we will, uh, what I'm looking for clarity on is what does infection look like in those at risk who, by the way, we still vaccinate anyway. And then more importantly, too, with Omicron, it really strengthens the message to get boosters into people. When you get a booster, what it does is it pops off your antibody levels, maybe for longer than the second dose. 
And the antibody levels are really what protect you and mitigate against infection. That's great. Yeah, that is great. I wonder just, um, this wasn't one of our questions, but when you're talking about the purpose of the vaccine that we're taking now, along with the boosters, is to mitigate severe disease, is there a simple way to tell us how that is different than, say, other vaccines we've received in our lifetime, maybe as a child, that we believe are to prevent the disease from ever occurring? Yeah. Like measles, mumps, smallpox. Absolutely. Let's, let's dissect that a little bit. So let's, let's look at the original clinical trials for these vaccines. And I'm going to reference the Pfizer vaccine specifically, but the Moderna vaccine was done the same way. The Pfizer vaccine trial that got the vaccine to be FDA approved, by the way, for those 18 and older, had 44,000 people in it. Half the people got the vaccine, half the people got the placebo. And what they measured was symptomatic infection. The D in COVID stands for disease, meaning that someone has symptoms. I wish we could do a redo. Asymptomatic infection is not COVID. Asymptomatic infection with SARS coronavirus 2 is not COVID. The D in COVID means someone has disease or they have symptoms. So back to the clinical trial. In the clinical trial, they had 170 people who had symptomatic infection. They weren't doing daily PCRs on people. They said, go live your life. Hey, 44,000 people, go live your life. And if you develop any symptoms, come on in and let's do a PCR on you. They had 170 people who had symptomatic disease in the clinical trial. 162 were in the placebo group and eight were in the vaccinated group. And that's what led the vaccine trial to be in the efficacy range of 95%. Efficacy is how a vaccine performs in a clinical trial. So um, that's the clinical trial that led the vaccine to be fully FDA approved. Now check this out. Pfizer also did another clinical trial for boosters. They had a total of 10,000 people. All 10,000 people received their primary two shots. 5,000 people got a real um, um, uh, vaccine booster. And then 5,000 people got the placebo. And it's the exact same measurement. Five people who received um, the uh, uh, real vaccine had a, a post-booster infection, and there were 109 people who received the placebo who had a symptomatic post-booster infection, bringing the efficacy back up to the 90 per 6 range. As time goes on, all antibody levels do come down. Remember, high antibody levels mitigate or prevent against infection. When you have high antibody levels, think of the antibodies actually being there in your mucous membranes of your nose. So when the virus gets there, whether it be Delta or Omicron, the virus is neutralized. Over time, we don't know how long it's going to be with boosters. Over time, it is expected that antibody levels will come down. However, you still got those long-lasting memory cells. And for most younger, healthier people, those memory cells are just waiting to really kick in when someone gets lower antibody levels and what we call a post-vaccination infection. Um, and that's kind of the messaging we need to get out. The whole purpose of the, anti of the vaccines were to mitigate against severe disease. Many vaccines that we give to kids, and I'm going to call out specifically the measles vaccine, the measles vaccines induce what we call sterilizing immunity. And most people, sterilizing immunity means it prevents you from getting infection, but it also prevents you from spreading it to somebody else. 
The COVID-19 vaccines were never intended or studied to do that. And realistically, the COVID vaccines work very similarly to the flu shot. Like the flu shot, like the COVID-19 vaccine, two things they have in common. You are less likely to get flu or COVID compared to somebody who's unvaccinated. But most importantly, like the COVID-19 vaccine, the flu vaccine works the exact same way. If you do get a post-vaccination infection, you are significantly less likely to have severe disease resulting in hospitalizations or death. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. <laughs> there, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot there, but I, there I guess. There's a lot there, but but the the COVID vaccine with a booster is performing very well, perhaps even in the setting of Omicron, but we still need to get more data on that. So, uh, again, we need to realize when it comes to the vaccines and studying the immunity from the vaccines, we are building the plane as we fly it. And, you know, some of the questions I want to know, too, with a booster – well, how much, what do those antibody levels look like when it comes to getting a booster shot? Are they going to stay elevated longer compared to the first two doses of the Pfizer vaccine? We, we don't know yet. Dr. Gasalo, could you talk to um, how these variants maybe coexist to, uh, get together? Does one, I'm thinking about maybe, you know, the pand- or, um, COVID down the road a little and trying to prepare a vaccine for the next phase. How do we predict a dominant strain in, in something like that in planning for the future? Because I'm imagining maybe next year's vaccine might look different than the current one we're taking. I don't know. I agree. I agree. So, you know, again, I'm going to make a comparison for what they do with the flu shot. So, you know, what they do, this has already been operationalized. Throughout the world, the World Health Organization, with support from the CDC, has a bunch of influenza labs throughout the world. And, uh, you know, influenza right now, we're starting to see more activity in the state of Ohio. But um, many, many strains of influenza exist usually in Southeast Asia, where we have uh, millions of people living in closer uh, proximity to animals. And we have labs throughout the world that are studying influenza. And as best as possible, they make a prediction for what is going to be the circulating strain in our area once we hit flu season. That actual process has been up and running now for years, and uh, we typically get information like that in the springtime to predict what we think is going to be the predominant circulating strain of flu by the time it hits our flu season, which is the winter month. That process has been up and running for years, and I see that slowly happening, too, for SARS coronavirus 2. And when it comes to different variants of SARS coronavirus 2, The one that usually wins out is the one that's more transmissible or the one that's more contagious. The one that's more transmissible or the one that's more contagious is typically the one that outpowers the other variants. So up until yesterday, the CDC was reporting that 99% of what we were seeing in our country was the Delta variant. Because what we have in our country um, are what we call labs that do genetic sequencing. And typically what they do is they get random samples from different parts of the country and they determine what variant it is. Now, we are a little bit behind the time in doing that in our country, really compared to how much genetic sequencing they're doing, specifically in the United Kingdom and uh, South Africa and other parts of the world. But, uh, you know, that's one area of opportunity to get things improved. So when it comes to studying variants, 
we need to get that infrastructure in place for SARS coronavirus too. And what we know about Omicron uh, is basically from the results of genetic sequencing. Omicron right now is the predominant circulating strain in South Africa. And if you look at what's going on now in Western Europe, specifically Spain, France, Germany, and the United Kingdom, Omicron is starting to uh, take off and outcrowd a little bit Delta. And I do anticipate that's going to happen here. Uh, we were going to see probably more Omicron and less Delta because Omicron, we believe, is more contagious and more transmissible. And that's the one that usually is the king of the hill as far as what we see more. So really, um, knowing that, we really need to get the message out there for people on the importance of getting a booster. Um, what getting a booster will do is to pop off your antibodies. And even though it's the same ancestral strains, having high antibody levels based on preprint studies will give a good layer of protection against uh, post-vaccination infections. Right. And as far as we know, right now, anyone over the age 16 and older can is encouraged to get a booster. Is that correct? That's correct. So let's dissect that a little bit. Um, for anybody who has received the J&J vaccine, J&J vaccine is only authorized for 18 and older. If you are two months out from receiving the J&J vaccine, you should get a booster. Uh, when it comes to the Moderna vaccine, the Moderna vaccine is also only FDA authorized for those 18 and older. If you're six months out from the second dose of the Moderna vaccine, you should get a booster and you're eligible for a booster. And then, as you mentioned before, for anybody 16 and older who has received Pfizer, they are eligible also to receive a Pfizer booster. For those 18 and above, they can get a booster with really any vaccine. And I know with Cornell and I think even probably some universities in Ohio, they're encouraging their students to go ahead and do that as well. Absolutely. So what I want to see out of Cornell, and again, we're talking hopefully about a, a bunch of young college kids. My hunch is that those people who do have a post-vaccination infection with Omicron, they're going to have mild symptoms. Now, again, when we see people out in the public, even younger, healthier people, there are people living amongst us who have weakened immune systems. We still vaccinate those people, but vaccines don't work as well. So in that population of uh, Cornell students, I can promise you there are younger students who have weakened immune systems that we have to be really cognizant of and, and protecting all of those people in society. And, and you know, in my family and your family, uh, we have great uh, a, a significant amount of people where vaccines don't work as well. Dr. Costello, we're, we're, we're go, our cases are going up just when we thought maybe we're, we're starting to end. I don't know how many times we think this is the end. I think I had in my calendar December 10th pandemic over. <laughs> December 5th pandemic over, December 10th. But it's, it's just not happening. So what, what are the predictions? What are the signs that this is really kind of, I don't know, and not ending? Because I don't know that that's the answer anymore. Well, yeah, here, here the, this SARS coronavirus, too, the virus that causes COVID-19, the virus is not going away. Right. We have to learn to live safely with this virus. This virus and uh, COVID will eventually become endemic. But you're right, the pandemic is still going on. It is not officially over. Um, what, what I'm hoping to see, and I haven't seen it yet, is a decoupling of community infection rates and hospitalizations. We haven't seen that yet. And, uh, you know, just to recap, too, I think as Americans and Ohioans, 
we are all numb to the daily death count from COVID-19. In our country, we are still averaging um, over 1,200 deaths a day from COVID-19, and we have hit the 800,000 mark. And tentatively, in spring of 2022, we're on course to have a million deaths in our country from COVID-19. So uh, the ultimate lagging indicator are deaths. And, you know, before the Delta surge, um, we were actually looking better before the Delta surge. And right now we are in our winter surge. And uh, there's a lot of reasons we are in our winter surge. A lot of it has to do with COVID fatigue. All of us are indoors more, the holidays. And still in the state of Ohio, I really want to reflect, I want to celebrate the vaccine work we have done in the state of Ohio. If you look at all, at all Ohioans, all ages, 54% of people of all ages are fully vaccinated, 63% for 12 and above, and 86% for everybody 65 and above. That's wonderful. We, we really need to celebrate that. However, Ohio has 88 counties, and when you look at vaccine uptake from various counties, it is quite different. And it should surprise nobody that counties with lower vaccination rates are counties based on population density that have more COVID and, and having more COVID deaths. So let's look at Athens County. I'm looking at the Ohio Department of Health um, COVID-19 page when it comes to vaccines. In Athens County, 51% of people living in Athens County are fully vaccinated. That's wonderful, but we still have work to do. And when you look at various counties, there's different vaccine uptake in various counties. So, again, we still need to respectfully engage our brothers and sisters from really a vantage point of caring and understanding on why people should get vaccinated. When you um, or when we read or when you offer those statistics, even for Athens County, can you clarify when you say 51% of the people, is that 51% of the people who are eligible to get the vaccine, or does that also include the children? It is, it is 51% of the entire population. Okay. And move, move, moving forward, too, we, we should start framing it that way, too, because we know that um, Pfizer, uh, all three companies are working on vaccine studies down to the age of six months. Pfizer is the first is the company who's closest to that. They have two studies going on for age six months to two years old, and a second study from two years old to five years old. We will hopefully have maybe a press release on what that's looking at looking like by the end of the year. But Pfizer is announcing that tentatively vaccines down to the age of six months will be available for them uh, in the first quarter of 2022. Dr. Staldo, I, I you've probably talked to many, many people on a personal level. I'm sure people call you all the time and ask for your advice about this and maybe about whether they should get the vaccine or not. Um, I don't know what the message is that maybe might encourage people to get the vaccine, but maybe talking a little bit about, you know, it's not, it's not always just you get sick and you get better, right? There's some, some long lingering symptoms we've found with yeah. That makes it a little bit different than everything else. Could you say yeah, so, some of that? Absolutely. So uh, one thing I want to say is death alone is, is not a true reflection of all of the pain and suffering that this virus has caused. You know, there, there, there are many people who come in the hospital who are, are permanently disabled and have a long road to recovery to go with COVID-19. And we, we need to be cognizant of that. But, but death alone does not capture all the pain and suffering. You know, 
I'm at Riverside Methodist Hospital right now. Uh, there are people in the hospital who have been here for uh, 10 days plus with COVID-19. And even when they leave the hospital after surviving, their road to recovery is, is um, very long. And sometimes people, for example, will have permanent lung scarring and, and really impact their breathing capacity after they recovered. Uh, you know, there is a, a condition that people on the street and common people call long COVID. It does have an official name. It goes by the letters of, of PASC, PASC, post-acute sequela of COVID-19. But uh, a lot of people just call it long COVID, which is fine. Long COVID, we really do not know a lot about it. It's something that the NIH is doing some studies on. But long COVID basically refers to people who have had COVID-19 and after they are no longer contagious and out of isolation, they still have sometimes debilitating symptoms, whether it be brain fog, fatigue, um, chronic shortness of breath, uh, chronic changes in taste and smell. And some of those symptoms can be quite debilitating from people. And anecdotally, I can tell you too, you know, I, I've known many physicians who have had COVID-19. They're out, they're out of isolation, but when they come back to work, they are still off kilter for a while. You know, they, they have the brain fogginess, they have the fatigue, and uh, they really need to uh, take time to get back to the baseline of what it was like before COVID. Long COVID um, is a recognized condition, too, in children. Um, there's been many children who've been documented to have COVID who uh, have mental fogginess and fatigue and things like that after they have COVID. So long COVID is one thing. And other facts, too, back to uh, the, 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 uh, the, the whole point of death. Two things I want to share with this audience. For the first time ever in the state of Ohio's history, in 2020, because of COVID, there were more deaths than births. And that's the first ever in Ohio history. Nationally, the CDC is reporting that in 2020, for the first time ever in World War II, the life expectancy of all Americans has gone down by a year and a half and up to three years in the black and Hispanic community. And again, that's a reflection of health care disparities. Um, but uh, COVID, you know, the, the death and suffering, a million people dying by this spring, that's enough to make me pause and, and really uh, sometimes uh, want to cry to hear that. Uh, a million people, and, and that's more than many major wars and conflicts our countries have been in. But death alone does not capture the totality of the pain and suffering of this virus. Wow. There it is. I know. It's kind of stunning. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I'm stunning. trying to write all these things down really quickly because I don't want to forget. And we, we become, as, as Americans and Ohioans, we've become numb to that. And, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about, too, what, what am I looking at to really tell me that we are making headwinds with the pandemic? A couple of things I'm looking at. Um, the ultimate lagging indicator are death. But more importantly, one of the things I'm looking at is vaccine equity. You know, infection anywhere, COVID anywhere is a threat anywhere here because of variants. And we really need to get vaccines into the arms of everybody on the planet Earth. Um, in our country, we are very blessed. We have enough vaccines for everybody. We have enough boosters for everybody. Uh, not, we have work to do to get vaccines into those unvaccinated here. But if you look at the continent of Africa, under 10% of the people living there have access to vaccines and have been vaccinated. And, and that's my concern moving forward with so much 
potential infection going on, and now with Omicron. With infection, that's more fodder for further evolution of variants, and that's what we have to be careful of. There, there could be, we don't know, someday there could be a variant that evades uh, our current vaccines, and we need to prepare for that, and that's why we always have to keep a line of sight of what's going on in other parts of the world. Right. And again, I just want to reiterate, and that's why people need to get vaccinated, because it's, it's going to mutate or change among that's people right. who are what, getting ill. That's correct. So, so how a vaccine performs in the real world is called a vaccine effectiveness. And there are many things that impact vaccine effectiveness, like uh, uh, individual issues, like their age, immunocompromised state. Another thing that really impacts vaccine effectiveness are levels of community transmission. With more people being vaccinated, we will have lower levels of community transmission, and that improves the vaccine effectiveness for everybody. I'm going to share with you an analogy that I like to use. This is another example of vaccine effectiveness. Think of a vaccine as a raincoat that you wear when it rains. The purpose of wearing a raincoat is to keep you dry. That raincoat, that vaccine will perform a lot better if there are lower levels of community transmission or in the setting of a raincoat, it's sprinkling or it's only misting. If you are in a heavy thunderstorm or a monsoon, that raincoat is not going to do as good of a job as keeping you dry. That's the same thing in the vaccine. In Ohio, all 88 counties are with high levels of community transmission. So in that scenario, a vaccine is going to be less effective for anybody who receives it. But if we get to lower levels of community transmission, the vaccine effectiveness for everybody goes up. So in the last couple of minutes, Dr. Gustavo, can you just help people who are getting ready for the holidays or maybe who are digesting everything that they've heard today like what those next steps are um, as they may be thinking about gathering or not gathering now based on the conversation. Um, yeah, so think, think, And t- testing too, right? We're, you know, yeah, so, so we have, let, let's kind of go through all the tools we have. And we have many more tools today compared to last year. So we're all very, very familiar with the mitigation recommendations, wearing masks, distancing, this, that, the other. Another thing to be really cognizant of, I think um, that's really important, in the setting of getting together in a private gathering like the holidays, you really want to understand who's there. Is everybody there vaccinated? That's the first thing. Is everybody there vaccinated? That's great if everybody there is vaccinated. It's even better if everybody is boosted. But you really want to be cognizant of people there where vaccines may not work as well, like senior citizens, like immunocompromised people. Um, So if somebody is severely immunocompromised, we still vaccinate those people. But in that scenario, it's probably a good idea uh, for everybody to be wearing a mask, depending on who's there. Uh, Another layer of protection is testing. And you're exactly right. We have home testing available today, antigen testing. And if the test is done properly, it is a very, very good test. Antigen testing is better it performs better if people are symptomatic. Uh, for people who have asymptomatic infection, the best way to do an antigen test is actually to do a test today and then to do a repeat test in uh, two to three days after that first test. If those two tests are negative in somebody, 
that performs just as well as a PCR test, and really they don't have COVID. So, so we have to really think about the layers of protection that you have. Is everybody doing it? You know, in my family, I could tell you what I'm doing in my family. In my family, I'm one of five kids. My parents are in their 80s, and we all have agreed that whoever is there is going to be vaccinated and everybody's going to be boosted, and we're going to do two tests before we get together. Now, we don't have anybody who's immunocompromised, but in that, in that scenario, um, we are going to have a normal Christmas Eve meal together, assuming that uh, nobody has a positive test and, and people are feeling well and everybody's had their vaccines and boosted. But those are the rules we have in our family, and we're sticking to them. That's perfect. What a, what a perfect plan. And it's something right. everybody can do. And we in Athens County, all of the Athens public libraries in the county – have those tests available. You just need to contact the library and pick one up for free. Absolutely. The federal government, that's an area of improvement in our country and in our state that's happening. You know, in Great Britain, for example, they're giving people free of charge uh, home testing up to seven days, and people can order them whenever they want. I, I know um, at the federal level that's something they are, are working on. Um, imagine every day if you could do a home test before you leave your house. Wouldn't that be wonderful if, if we had that capacity? Um, uh, in a perfect world, that would be the case. But if, if I was involved in planning at the public health level, especially at the federal level, that would be something I'd advocate for. Right, right. One thing that you said, Dr. Gastado, regarding testing was that if they're done correctly, the antigen test. So are there any, um, like, thoughts that pop out as far as the most common error, the most common mistake? that a person yeah. makes when they're doing a home test? Yeah, the, the most common error is really not getting that up there high enough. So when you do a home antigen test, you don't have to do what we call the brain biopsy or nasal pharyngeal swab, but we really need really what's called technically a mid-turbinate swab, and that's really getting the swab up there um, ha roughly the, the distance of halfway up into your nose. And for some people, that's really hard to do. You know, that, that part of your anatomy, the lining of your nose, is a very sensitive part of your body. You have a lot of nerves there. And um, some people are more sensitive than others. But when it comes to a home antigen test, if you're really not getting that swab up there as a mid-turbinate swab, it could not perform as well. Now you say halfway up your nose. It doesn't have to be because we always make jokes about how, you know, gosh, I'm touching my brain because it feels like you're going really deep. So no. halfway, you're talking about your nose like the nose that we can see on the Correct. person's Okay. Correct. The actual nose. So, you know, if, if, if the, the, someone's nose, if you really want to get up there, and for most people, that's going to be uh, no more than a two, two and a half centimeters. But again, uh, for, that, that is a very sensitive part of, of your nose, and some people do struggle with that. Yeah, I, I actually think that's good news <laughs> because I think a lot of people think you really have to go much deeper in order well, the, to get the, the, the proper the deeper, the deeper, the better, but. Um, it's not a nasopharyngeal swab, and for some people, um, that is really uncomfortable to do to really get back there. You know, uh, some people have different thresholds of sensitivity than others. Mm -hmm. Sure. And is the consequence of doing the test incorrectly just the risk of having an, uh, a negative test? Yeah, so the, so the home test, how it performs, the home test performs extraordinarily well, and letting you know at that time, are you contagious? Are you contagious? 
it's less sensitive than a PCR test, but I think, uh, you know, not to get into PCR testing too much, a person can be PCR detectable or PCR positive without being contagious. That's not the case with a home antigen test. With a home antigen test, if somebody is positive on the home antigen test, that means they have infection, and more importantly, it means they are contagious or transmissible. Okay. Okay. Something you said early in the show was um, regarding that the pandemic is not over, so we need to learn how to live with it. Um, if that's the case, there's probably a variety of opinions about what for each person might be an acceptable level of risk that they take, you know, where they go, where they travel, who they see, um, because there's that concept of, okay, we, you know, there's no guarantee, even if you've had a vaccine or a booster or wear a mask, there's no 100% guarantee. So if people need to learn how to live with it, they need to live their lives. Um, you know, for some people, I think of friends and family who have literally isolated themselves to the point where they mentally don't want to go out now. And then there are those people on the other extreme. So there must be some middle ground. And do you have any thoughts or suggestions or could share what you feel would be yeah. an acceptable level of risk? So, because so I think really, my overall well-being doesn't necessarily just equal, the only thing it doesn't equal is minimizing COVID. That, that, you're absolutely right. I want everybody to have that long-lasting memory cells, meaning that if you get infection with this coronavirus and you have a cold or mild flu symptoms, I can live with that. The hospital systems can live with that. That that's the goal of living with the virus. Now, when it comes to tools, we have the most important tool we have now are vaccines. And um, to be transparent with the public and the listeners, we don't know with certainty if this is going to be a vaccine we get every year, like the flu shot. We don't know yet yet, but as we learn more and pay attention to variants, that may be the case. The other thing that people need to realize is. Um, we are going to have other tools in the near future, and I kind of go through some of them. First of all, we are going to have in the near future, hopefully by the end of the year, you can think of them as Tamiflu. Tamiflu is a pill that we give to people who have influenza, but we're on the verge of having two different oral medications for COVID. These are oral antiviral agents, one by Merck, one by Pfizer, and the point of these medications is like Tamiflu to mitigate or prevent severe disease. So that's an example of something we're going to have. Um, another tool we're going to have also in the near future, it just got emergency use authorization, and there's more on the line, are long-acting monoclonal antibodies that we give to at-risk people where vaccines don't work as well. So AstraZeneca has a, a product that we're expecting any day really here at Ohio Health called Evusheld, E-V-U-S-H-E-L-D. Evusheld is authorized to give to somebody every six months. Every six months, they get a shot that gives them a layer of protection against infection with a monoclonal antibody. And the clinical trial for Evusheld in immunocompromised people, it, it performs really well in preventing symptomatic COVID-19 in the 80% range. So, so again, we're, we're going to have the tool. Another tool that I, this is happening too. When it comes to home antigen tests, imagine if you wake up and you have 
symptoms, you know, a lot of the symptoms, influenza symptoms, COVID symptoms, other respiratory virus symptoms, they all overlap. Imagine a time in the future where you have a home test that will test for all of those. And through technology and telemedicine, let's say, oh, okay, you have a positive flu test, you get on telemedicine, you contact your provider, and remotely they're able to prescribe a pill for you to get at the pharmacy. That's the future, and, and that, that's the, the pathway we're slowly starting to get to uh, and, and having the tools to live with this virus. I want We have to be very responsible and always respect people where their immune system doesn't work as well. But moving forward, uh, for uh, over close to 97% of the people in our country who are not moderately or severely immunocompromised, if you get COVID and you're home with a cold, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So uh, we really have to figure out uh, the pathway to getting to that future, and we are making steps in that regard. That sounds great. That's a lot of great information. I'm sure everybody listening is just um, more informed, comforted, I think, and prepared to make some decisions about the holidays and just moving forward with everything else that they need to do in terms of living their lives. I I think that this has been a really great um, great visit with you, Dr. Costala. We really appreciate all the time and effort and are cheering for you. I know this is this has been a long, drawn-out experience and one that's probably lasted longer than um, what you might have expected, but we're, we're hoping that you can hang in there a little longer, and we welcome you to Hocking Hills or Athens County whenever you need a little getaway. Well, listen. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I, I will say personally, you know, this is, uh, you know, this this December will be the two-year mark of when this virus first came on the scene. You know, I, I have been very honored and humbled to be doing what I do for Ohio Health. You know, I, I'm I've lived my whole life in Ohio. I have connections to many um, parts of Ohio, including southeastern Ohio. You know, we, there's great people who live in southeastern Ohio, and and I'm only one person. I I really, we need to respectfully engage from a vantage point of love, respect, understanding the importance of getting a vaccine. It's an act of kindness to get vaccinated. You're you're helping promote vaccine effectiveness for everybody. And we really have to take that message to to all Ohioans. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we wish you a very happy holiday as well. And look forward to when you can come back and tell us that everything's done. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. Take care. Thanks so much, and we appreciate your time with us today. Hey, Scott. Yes, ladies and Dr. Gastaldo. Yeah. I, I want to add my appreciation for Dr. Gastaldo's time with us, too, because I think it was mentioned earlier in the program about he has to be pulled here and there for different outlets, uh, whether it's media, speaking at conferences, uh, meetings, whatever it may be, uh, about him being so very generous with his time here. And, uh, Doctor, I just want to add this from a personal standpoint, that uh, to, for you to know from this end here, you are uh, indeed a blessing to so many people who are listening in right now and folks that you have spoken to folks that have seen you on TV, on the radio, wherever it may be. So, uh, I, I know it doesn't sound like you're, uh, experiencing any kind of burnout and I'm thankful for that, 
But if ever it enters your mind, please know that you are a blessing and a help to so many people who depend on uh, you and your information and statistics for us to know where we are, what we need to do, and where we're headed. So uh, uh, thank you from all from me and all of us here uh, in Athens and southeastern Ohio. I think he may have gone, but hopefully he caught that. Uh, but anyway, uh, if not, the thought and sentiment still applies. So, uh, yes, uh, ladies, thank you so much. And he is always so very informative, and uh, it's wonderful that you can get him to be a part of your show. So uh, thank you so much. Incidentally, uh, when he was talking about booster shots, I got mine two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, no problem. Again, now I know it affects different people different ways. Uh, So uh, anyway, I also encourage folks you know, to uh, hopefully think about getting vaccinated if they haven't yet. I agree, Scott. Yep, that's a, that's a good note to end on. Yes, right. we shall do so at this very moment. So uh, thank you so much, ladies, for being here and uh, bringing another wonderful, informative program uh, to 970 WATH and listeners all over southeastern Ohio. And, well, since we stream live worldwide, uh, nationwide, all over the globe. So thank you again, right. and we'll, we'll talk again uh, a week from today. Yes, we will. Sounds great. Sounds great. That will be the last Wednesday before Christmas. Right. Yeah. Any, <laughs> any teasers about what we might be talking about? It's going to be a secret. <laughs> <laughs> There yeah, you, no teasers holiday today. edition. There you have right, it, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yeah, there one, you go. <laughs> one of one of Santa's secrets, ladies and gentlemen. So <laughs> you're gonna have to wait until Wednesday. All right. Yeah. Well, thank, <laughs> Keep thank, you in suspense. Yeah, that's right. Thank you again. Have a blessed day, week and weekend, and we'll talk soon. Thank, thank you, Scott. Scott. Thank you. Make it happen here on 970 WATH as we continue on. With a sentimental journey here in just a few moments right after these few messages. And we will hear from meteorologist Brian Hughes coming up shortly on uh, this wonderful Wednesday, December 15th. It is seven and a half minutes until 11 o'clock. Hey, it's Boots. It's Best of Show with Jay Leno, Mario Andretti, Larry the Cable Guy, and more. That's Auto Smarts Friday afternoon at